Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. In another double episode, we have two alternative data providers that each focus on a specific geography. First up is Eric Nunley of Quesopa, a company that originated in Panama and has grown to be the preeminent provider of financial transaction data for the Latin America region. Second is Gavriel Mercado of Realize. As its primary offering, Realize provides all the information a UK real estate developer might need before investing in a property, and the company is increasingly making this information available to the financial markets in the form of alternative data. So today I'm joined by Eric Nunley from Case Sopa. Um, Eric, we were just having a little bit of a chat before before we began. Um, it sounds like there's a bit of a story behind behind the name Case Sopa because it's it's well. First of all, let me just say it's it's unusually it's Q U E X O P A. So it's it's um it's an interesting word. Yeah, it's very much so. Uh, everybody butchers it, so don't feel bad about it. Case uh, Sopa actually derives from K Paso. Um, the, the company, we actually started the company in Panama. And in Panama, small country, 4 million people, they do something a little bit different. Instead of saying que paso, they say queso pa. They take the P-A-S-O and they flip it. So it's so pa instead of paso. So they say que sapo, que, que po, queso pa, I'm sorry. They say queso, <laughs> queso pa. And that is... And it's very unique to Panama. So it's 4 million people in all of Latin America that say queso pa. So when someone says queso pa, you know it's a Panamanian, right? I mean, I want to, I've got a, I've got a geography background. And so I want to be looking at the map of the, the Americas. Yep. And I see it goes from fat to thin and then from thin to fat. Yep. And maybe Panama feels like they are, you know, the center of this kind of forwards, backwards, you know, it, you, you do it, you know, they say que paso below, they say queso par above, you know, there's something about the mirror, they're the mirror in the middle of the, the <laughs> Americas. I think that might be exactly what it is. I never nailed it, but I think you just did. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So um, why did you start in Panama? Um, I actually went to Panama about five, six years ago. Um, I just kind of got tired of the winners of New York. Uh, started going down there and wintering in, 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 in Panama, Panama City, and uh, met up with some people and just really, you know, I, I, before I used to work in uh, digital, very digital creative space, but we always leverage data. So, you know, I would work with clients or companies and we would leverage, you know, web data, social data, you know, scraping followers and commenters and likes and micro-targeting, those types of things. And so I, I did have a data background and I did, I, when I first got out of college, a little hint is I, I worked for Morgan Stanley. So I, I did that for a year. Why does that sound like a confession? Oh, <laughs> most people don't know I was in, you know, I was a broker when I was like, you know, really young when I first got out of college. And so, uh, so I do have a trading background or some type of financial background. I understand the lingo and, and how it works. And so when I went down to Panama five, six years ago, um, over the course of, uh, two winters, uh, I met up with some people. Um, there was a project that was happening from a global NGO 
that they wanted to utilize data. They brought me in to, to kind of work on that project. And it was more of a inflation based project uh, to understand inflation in certain markets in Latin America, Colombia, Panama, even though that's it's on a dollar standard in Panama, they have massive inflation. It's, 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 it's I know it's kind of weird, but uh, and, you know, Venezuela, uh, Peru, Ecuador, just having an understanding by scraping grocery store websites and pharmacies and understanding how that how the value of the products are going up and down in relation to the dollar or uh, Bitcoin or uh, all the other currencies in the region. Right. Fascinating. Fascinating. And, and, and we kind of morph that into something that we may be able to sell. You know, after that project was over, we kind of morphed it into something that we may be able to like package up and sell. And having the New York background and, you know, some of your friends, they work on the street. You know, they're like, that's, that's pretty interesting. I'm like, okay, cool. So, you know, so we, we started having meetings and, and some firms were kind of interested, but it was not the flavor of the day. Uh, we went to alternative data conferences and they were like, you know, if you guys are down in Latin America and you can get this type of data, we definitely buy that. <laughs> we're like, okay, so it, it looks like it's going to be a pivot. So your so your your data that you were getting was pure price data, like up to up to date. What all that you were scraping all the prices across the, across this region yep. um, to track inflation. What did they say? What data did they want? They wanted credit card transaction data. They wanted email receipt data, mobile location data. You know, mixed in there. But those are usually the, your 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 three. Uh, data sets that really kind of thrive, especially in, our, in, in this region, in an emerging market. Things are a little bit different in emerging markets than they are in the U.S. So, or North America. Tell me, just tell me, just quickly, tell me about email receipt data. Okay, so email receipt data. It's a, it's, it's a big secret around it. So, um, email receipt data allows you to understand <laughs> it is really. Um, uh, email receipt data allows you to understand uh, the granularity of of, of a transaction. So whereas a credit or debit card transaction, you're only able to see, I, I know you spent $238 at Walmart. I don't know what you spent $238 on. Email receipt data allows me to see the SKU, the itemized purchases of that. I see. When, when you say email receipt data, you're not saying, um, you know, a receipt that somebody has read my email. You mean the receipt from a store. Would you like us to send this you this receipt by, by email or would you like it in paper? That kind of receipt. Yeah, that that Got that it. receipt, that itemized receipt is it has immense value because, of course, it gives you the, 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 the uh, uh, SKU level data. And that, exactly what, yeah, get you exactly what you bought. Um, and that would be something that you would, all these things would be something you'd buy from providers. So you'd buy the credit card data from the, from the banks or the credit card companies and you'd buy the email receipt data from the stores. So it was, it was having a relationship with those stores in order to get hold of that data. Yes. Um, it, that, the email receipt data comes from different, uh, a different type of panels. Um, um, sometimes from apps, sometimes from, um, uh, 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 like you mentioned, stores, uh, but usually from like uh, apps or services that are able to access into a, a, a user's email account, basically. 
Okay. And what was the, so you came from a kind of Colombia, that, that kind of Latin America, Caribbean kind of, kind of feel to your coverage area. Is that, is that where you continued? Did you spread uh, beyond? Yes, we have. Uh, I would probably say 90%, 90 to 95% of our inquiries requests are coming from Brazil and Mexico, the two big markets, right? And they're two big markets. They have liquidity in their stock markets. So when you have a stock market and you have, you know, retail companies, that's what usually our type of clients, our finance clients really want to have a, a good understanding about. And so what, what, what are you, what understanding are you giving them? So when you look at a product like uh, credit card transaction, credit debit card transactions, uh, that is able to tell you on a daily basis, basically, um, being extrapolated, of course, right? You're not getting every credit card transaction in the country. But if you have a large enough panel size, a large enough cards that you're able to actually have a view of, you're able to understand growth uh, patterns. So during COVID, so let's take like March and April and, and May, you could see the shift of um, retail to uh, more delivery. Right. So you saw the delivery companies, the iFoods, the Rappies, they really went up. Uber's transactions really went down. So you're able to see that on a daily interval. So a daily frequency. Okay. Um, and so and so this is very much tracking. And at some point you move from Panama to New York. Is that to be near the near the clients? Well, I still uh, spend about half a year in each place. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, well, not this year, obviously, but, uh, but yeah, usually I spend, uh, you know, half a year in LATAM and then I spend half a year in, 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 in the North. Okay. Because I mean, you're essentially, that makes sense. Cause you are essentially a bridge to the, to the LATAM market for, um, predominantly us based investors. Would that be the, would that be the case? Yeah. Um, LATAM Europe, uh, but we also have a lot of, uh, we do get inquiries from, the region. So there are players in the region that can take this type of data and squeeze their own insights out of it. Okay. So who 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 want who uses you? Who who are your clients? Well, I can't give you names. But, <laughs> but and addresses. Yes, yes. I can I, I can tell you kind of like the industry. So finance, I would probably say is about sixty to seventy percent of requests, inquiries. Um clients, uh, whereas corporates, I would say it's about 25%. And then you have like your market research companies, advertising firms. Uh, yeah, that's about private equity, venture capital, those type of companies are. are okay. And, and so the finance ones, have you like, can you talk about what kind of finance companies and, and um, how, if they're, how they, they might be using your data, if you're aware? Usually with the firms that are trading, that are leveraging that data to trade off of, yeah, they don't, they're not going to really tell you what they're doing with it, of course, but uh, they usually, they, they, they're, they're really big into the transaction data. That's the data set that they're more steered toward, steered towards. Uh, credit card transactions, email receipt data is a big thing for, for that industry. Um, but Credit card transactions, transaction data can actually tell the story for, it's an ingredient, right? It's a, it, it can tell the story for hundreds of different types of verticals, 
um, market share, um, average cost or average price per transaction or per, per company. You can understand, you know, at scale, um, if you are a streaming company, you can understand how you're performing in, a, in, a, in an area, in a certain region over another, con- over another company or how, you know, maybe they're pricing their product or service better. And, okay. and you can and you can actually see that in the data. So that's a okay. Um, and is this a is this a, a crowded space? Are there many alternative data companies which are covering the Latin America, or or do you feel like you're you're kind of the the, the first ahead of the pack? Yeah, we're the lone wolf. We're the lone wolf in our region. Um, uh, we we are we are first in our region. Um, in other emerging markets, there are players, uh, but in LATAM, we are usually the go to for you know, all types of different types of data. Um, uh, we really kind of pride on pride ourselves on finding the data that kind of fuels the global economy, right? So the global markets. Uh, so it's, you know, we, yeah, not, you know, most of our, our, our uh, conversations are about transaction data, um, sometimes mobile location data, but it can also venture to other things, web scrape data, uh, you know, pricing data, is the um, is the is the market changing in terms of um, is the Latin American market? Can you watch it evolve? Because obviously um, it will be a little bit in some ways. You know, I don't know. Like technologically, it might be a, a step behind North America or Europe as as it's kind of a less developed economy. Are you finding that while you've been doing this, then the um, you know the capabilities, the possibilities in Latin America have been have been becoming more, or, or are there challenges? There's challenges, but the thing about the type of data, alternative data, alternative data basically standardizes data. That's kind of the thing about alternative data. So it brings a certain standard. Doesn't matter where you get it. So if it's credit card data, it doesn't matter if I'm getting if I'm accessing credit card data in Vietnam or I'm accessing credit card data in Brazil. It looks the exact same. It functions the exact same. The variables are pretty much the exact same. So it has a certain standardization to it. Um, Mobile location data, all our cell phones are exactly alike. So it brings a certain standard to it. So you're not really left to uh, the, the government of Ecuador and their data governance standards, right? You are looking at a alternative source of data that is has a global standardization to it. Fantastic. Okay. Um, and so what does uh, what does the future hold? Is there you you've got to the bottom you've got to the bottom of South America now. Is there where where's the where where are the opportunities obviously um, without giving away any kind of you know strategic internal plans. Well I I think that you know, for our roadmap for the next two or three years, it's really about just developing the panel that we currently have in in, in Mexico, Brazil. We're still, we're, you know, we we have expanded. Uh, uh, we're kind of the go-to that data arm for some of these companies that that want to learn about data monetization. How can I create a revenue source from my from our data? Right, these data assets. Uh, so. So, you know, from Colombia to Peru to Chile, we have kind of broadened a little bit and, 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 and have extended to those areas. But primarily our focus is on Mexico and Brazil and developing the products we, we already have there because we're still a young company. We're three years old, really, and three and a half years old. And, and we learn something new every day. <laughs> 
Uh, so it's really about just refining the product that we currently have. Uh, uh, and I think it might be less about us refining our product because I think that the buy side is the one that's developing a lot faster than we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need to change. The world's going to come to you. It's going to come to us. Exactly. Yeah. Just just keep refining, keep doing what you're doing and keep being the best and the biggest in the business. And, and hopefully it'll all, it'll all plop into your lap. <laughs> well, we are we're, 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 we have our nose down and we're working really hard so <laughs> fantastic <laughs> cool eric thank you so much um very interesting it's the first obviously well you're the only one of your kind so um so it's a it's a unique proposition and um and for anyone who wants to be involved in in alternative data in latin america then you're obviously the one-stop shop so um thanks very much for your time much appreciated thank you very much Next up, and switching our focus from Latin America to a location a little closer to home, it's Gabriel Mercado of Realize, the UK real estate data provider. First of all, thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, but in answer to the question, I started off working in, in finance. I worked in a stock brokerage for a while and then hedge funds and was doing kind of quantitative strategy, basically, and a bit of analytics. And after doing that for a number of years, I made the slightly curveball decision to go and work in uh, real estate development at a very, very large company called Quintain. It was the first place I started off and then worked at a few other uh, large real estate development companies. And one of the things that really struck me, it probably took me a couple of years to see it after sort of getting my feet under the table, so to speak, was that the real estate industry was investing huge amounts of money in these developments. and they were doing it with what I consider to be very kind of scant information. It was, uh, you know, reports where information was often kind of inaccurate. It was approximate. It was out of date. It didn't necessarily cover exactly what you wanted it to cover. And that just kind of didn't sit right with my sort of quant quantish background. Um, so I had a look around to try and see if there was a, a Bloomberg terminal for real estate. Turned out Bloomberg didn't cover real estate and I couldn't find one after a bunch of Google searching. So I had enough kind of knowledge of Visual Basic um, from the, the finance days and a little bit of sort of C and some other stuff like that to hammer something together to try and pull together information that would be useful for what I was doing at the time, which was trying to figure out whether or not building a building is a good investment or not. And that's where it all started off. Um, and then here we are coming on to five years later. Interesting. Excellent. Um, and so that, I mean, maybe it's a good moment actually just to, to, to introduce what Realize does. Yeah. So trying to be that, that Bloomberg for real estate, not quite there yet. Um, but we provide a software as a service solution to big real estate companies here in the UK um, that allows them to understand market data. So understanding pricing, rents, um, what companies are in what buildings, who's building what, where, asset ownership, demographics, economics, etc., so that uh, a user of our system can can get to an understanding of a location or evaluation or or risks and returns uh, much quicker and more easily than they could do before. Okay, and so is it? Is it? It's all UK data, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, and um, and where do you get where where do you get your data from? 
uh, I'd love to say that there's like a big data store that we go to and we just kind of go along the shelf. But <laughs> one day in the future, perhaps uh, that'll be how it works. Well, what we've done is we basically look at the process that an analyst or an associate or whoever goes through um, in these investment firms, in these development firms, in these banks, etc., when they are trying to get to a decision. And so what are the sources that they look at and how do they adjust and fix that data? Because the world of real estate data is very messy and confusing and unstructured. And there's a lot. Is it, of- is it, re- is it regional? Like, would you have regional sources which you need to pull together? Uh, yeah, there are some. Yeah. I mean, there's how many local authorities are there? There's like 300 and something local authorities. Uh, I mean, in the background, we've got probably circa 50 or so different primary sources and about 700 data sets that results in, I think the count last year, it was like 26 billion data points. So it's probably north of 30, I guess. Um, depends how you measure it though. Constantly updating, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not quite live streaming because there's not really that requirement in real estate. Things do move a bit more slowly. It's not like high frequency trading or anything like that. But in the background, yeah, there is a a huge series of automated systems that basically gather together data, process it, clean it, um, sort it out, put it into a database and and load it up for our users. Okay. And so maybe it's a good idea just to talk a little bit about exactly what the data is that's on offer. What what exactly would someone who who logs into real estate, sorry, realize be looking at? Well, there's a few broad categories. And then below that, there's hundreds of data sets and, and many billions of data points. But what we're talking about are prices for residential property. So the actual transaction prices and the asking prices as well. Um, and we actually track the the asking uh, the, the advertisements for, for properties and link those through to the actual transaction price so you can see things like what is the discount uh, between asking and achieving also how long it takes to sell properties things like the pound per square foot information as well rents as well um, both the the advertised asking rents and also the achieved rents which is a really really novel data set that we've got the yields on properties rental yields uh, building ownership who owns a building, but also what companies are operating inside of a building, who are the the various leaseholders there as well. There's planning applications, um, so who's building what where, but then going a step further through the partnerships we have, we know what companies are involved in a particular development and actually when it's intended to be completed. Um, There's a lot of information about demographics, so the population that makes up a particular area and that's one of the areas where we spend a lot of focus on ensuring that we're not just republishing existing data sets, but we're going a few steps further in engineering those data sets to give people really granular value. Uh, socioeconomics as well, you know, how much money are people making, GDP, that sort of stuff. Um, and property details, of course, a massive, massive database there of what are all the detail, how big is a, a property, how energy efficient is it? What kind of windows does it have? What's the decor like inside? That sort of stuff. And is that data, for example, that that last bit, is it crunchable or is it, um, you know, so it's all numbers essentially? Yeah. Yeah. Lots and lots of numbers. And when you, and so just, just to dwell a little bit more, the, the sources of data, are they, are they all kind of official, as you say, regional authorities or are you scraping estate agents? Like what, what kind of, what kind of, what kind of, what are we talking about? 
oh, well, there's a there's a big mix even in that. So you've got the the public data sets, let's say, like you've got Office of National Statistics, right? Anyone can go on there, um, go and download some statistics about whatever you want. You've got uh, planning planning portals of local authorities. Um, you've got data from state agents and surveyors. Um, and each different data source has got its own access method. So as an example, with the ONS data, um, what there'll be is a, a little little bit of code there that just sends a little bot to the site once a, once a month, usually, um, checks to see if there's been any update in whatever CSV sheet it's looking for, downloads it if there is, picks out the bits of information that it needs and, and stores them. Uh, there's completely different processes for where corporates are supplying data to us via like a secure FTP system. Um, but again, there'll just be another automated process running there. You, you sound very casual and matter, matter of fact about it, but I suspect that hides five years of blood, sweat and tears as you've pulled this all together. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> it all sounds so easy, but oh, no, it's not. <laughs> it sounds easy, um, yeah. No, there's there's a lot of grey hairs and wrinkles that have been working quite team and myself. Okay, jolly good. Um, and so, um, what? So, how would you say so you talked about real estate developers using you in terms of? So, your your bread and butter, your day job is a real estate developer is thinking of buying or building property in a certain area. So, they'll use you as a one stop shop for all of their needs to to understand the areas and the demographics and what's going to happen in that area and and things like that. Um, what would you say makes you be classed as alternative data? Well, this I think is is quite a neat thing. So, yeah, in addition to the you know the, the developer, you've also got the the bank who's lending the money. You've got the investor as well that's engaged in the project. There's a whole myriad of different people that that use our our primary system. But in the background behind that, what you've got is this huge database with a whole bunch of cleaned up, organized, sorted out data that's all geospatially referenced that you can then begin to start attributing to companies so questions like you know is the share price of xyz development company justified given the location of where all their developments are and how prices are trending in those areas that's the kind of question that people can start answering using our data as a service side of the business which admittedly is, is at the moment much smaller but i think as alternative data itself grows in in popularity and i suppose we're alternative data just because we're not data that comes from an exchange i suppose i'm not quite sure what the definition is actually you might need to clue more about one well i mean alter i mean there are many different everyone seems to have a yeah. different definition but but the but the i mean the definition is basically anything that's not traditional you know so the, tra tra the traditional stuff is what you know investors have been using since since year dot in terms of official figures and things like that you know gdp mm. or financial statements or whatever whereas this is pretty much everything everything else so it's everything which is a bit weird yeah um but um, but so okay so um, so investors so we're linking still to to real estate so if an investor was interested in in basically checking double checking the workings of a real estate company then they or a development company then they could use your data to try to um, 
to try to understand, uh, you know, to, to, to check whether, whether it adds up. Yeah. What about things like um, checking the value of a, um, you know, say, a, a, say, I mean, for example, the banks. Uh, <laughs> I, remember during, I remember during the crisis, then one of the great things that uh, I think it was JP Morgan, maybe, who bought Bear Stearns in the crisis. Mm-hmm. One of the big things they wanted was the, was the um, home office, which was in um, uh, a prime location. And that was actually a pretty sizable mm-hmm. asset within the company. Right. Um, would, would, would somebody use you for that kind of thing to check on that? I suppose they could. I hadn't really thought of that one before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of nuanced use cases. So you could, you could go over to like the fixed income side of things. Again, I'm thinking financial markets here. Um, on the alternative data side, and I know there's a lot of different nuances and on different angles, but you know there's there's bonds out there that are secured with rental streams from different buildings, right? And you know, people particularly now would want to know well how secure is that rental stream? Um, what's actually going on to, on with some of the underlying assets? And then <laughs> things like inflation. You think about how housing costs is a, a significant component of. Is it the CPI or the RPI? I can never figure out which one, but one of those. Um, you know, are housing costs going up or down? What impact does that then have on inflation? And what impact does that then have on masses of other things that are linked to those indices? Could you maybe, um, armed with your data, do you think someone could have um, seen the problems involved in, for example, the US subprime sector before 2008 in terms of these are crazy rents compared to crazy prices compared to um, could you look under the surface like that do you think and analyze the real estate market from that perspective I think if we had existed in the US at that time yeah yeah for sure Uh, one of the interesting things is I mean you see kind of microcosms of it here in the UK so back when prime central London was massively overrated, it was really clear that it was massively overrated even before it started going down. So it's just kind of obvious to us with the information that we've got. But interestingly, more recently with what's gone on with, with COVID and the impact that that's had on the market, it's been really, obviously we're going to predict it, but it's been very interesting to see almost like a like a slow motion camera looking at a car crash watching things unfolding and seeing okay well this is when this piece of news came out then you see two days later the impact or the day later the impact that then has on the listings market and then the knock-on impact that then has throughout the the sector um obviously you're 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 um busy on the day job in terms of making sure that everything works but do you keep a close eye on the on the narratives as well could you give us a why are you able to give us a kind of neat snapshot of what the last year has looked like? Uh, oh, I wish I could. It's really, <laughs> there's so many moving parts. And my wife always tells me off about this. She says, you, you know, you need to have a clear, concise answer to these things. But the fact is you, you're talking about thousands of dynamic sub-markets across the country that react and act in, in different ways. So you have at the moment, you know, lots of demand in uh, places like Norwich or you know, places that were kind of like extended commuter towns from London, let's say, because people are saying, well, you know, I don't need to work in an office. I can go and live somewhere else where it's much cheaper. Um, and so those are experiencing a completely different set of, of movements and factors to somewhere like central London or central Manchester. And again, that will change with, with the next set of kind of inputs. So unfortunately, I don't have a nice, a nice soundbite answer to that one. But broadly, I mean, would you, I mean, 
you kind of uh, just just uh, lean towards saying that there has been a bit of a um, a move away from central and more towards like a maybe a COVID fleeing of central cities. Would would you say that's a that's been a trend, or or is it you you it's yeah. you can't you can't quite say that. Yeah, no, that's that is definitely there. Um, what what is quite interesting is the emergence of a kind of a multi tier housing market at the moment, uh, where you've got people who can work remotely um, and still have their jobs and are able to kind of move out of the cities if they want to. Uh, and that's changing the pricing environment outside of cities. You then have that contrasted with people who have to work in a specific location. And I don't just mean, you know, working in a, in a restaurant or a bar or something like that, but doctors, pilots, for example, you know, you can't fly a plane remote, at least not yet. Um, and so those people have to stay in, in a particular location. And so that is creating, I suppose, a little bit of a ripple out of the cities. Um, I think over time, it's likely to come back a bit because uh, as fun as some parts of the countryside can be, I think they do get a little bit dull after a while if you're used to that more urban environment. So, no effect so, on rural dwell dwellers. It's a lovely... Absolutely. Don't want to upset the farmers. We saw it happen with Alan Partridge. <laughs> <laughs> Great <job>. um, <laughs> But um, okay, excellent. And so let's say we've got a well, there's a there's an investor listening to this podcast and has a need for um, you know UK real estate real estate intelligence. Um, what do they get if they if they log on to Realize? How does how how would it work in terms of um, you know a, a product? Well, there's there's three offerings. Uh, the primary one is our online platform and that's used by the vast majority of, of clients in their day-to-day -day work but that's when their day-to-day -day work is very real estate focused and it's it's around sort of valuing and assessing and, and optimizing on the alternative data side where things are a bit more kind of nuanced and, and more specialized to a particular case that's where our data as a service offering comes in so that's you know if someone is technical or has the technical capacity then we have an api that's Quite well documented people can access that and, and do some pretty cool stuff or you know if they don't want to be as technical we can just give them really big spreadsheets um which are always fun as well okay so they would okay so you basically you can provide the data based on how they how they want it yeah yeah exactly um so we have uh, we we have a, a specialist that recently joined the team um who's worked actually quite extensively with, with alternative data. Uh, we brought them on specifically for this reason, because we see it as a, a really interesting growth segment across the market. And I'm sure there's all kinds of interesting ideas of, of alternative data that we haven't even touched on today. Um, but yeah, we've got a, got a specialist in-house now to deal with exactly these things. Fantastic. Well, um, Gabriel, thank you very much indeed for for coming on the podcast today and, and introducing Realize and 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 what you guys do. And um, I well, I very much look forward to to Realize becoming a, a bigger part of the alternative data sector moving forwards. Cheers. Thank you, Mark. <laughs>